Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. The Old Testament book of Proverbs and chapter number 9. The book of Proverbs and chapter 9. We, of course are starting our brand new year. And with a brand new year comes our brand new theme. And the very heart of our theme this year is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, if we're going to have this as the theme this year, it is appropriate that we take the Bible and explain from the passage, what does this mean? What does it mean about the fear of the Lord? What does it mean about wisdom and where do we get wisdom? Well, these things are going to be answered inside of this passage in the book of Proverbs in chapter number number nine. The book of Proverbs chapter 9. And if you don't mind, let's start together starting at verse number 7. The book of Proverbs chapter 9 and verse number 7. The word of God says this, He that reproveth a scorner getteth himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Reprove a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou will be wise for thyself. But if thou scornest, thou alone shall bear it. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Proverbs chapter number nine? The book of Proverbs chapter number nine, and notice with me in verse number 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom wisdom. And with the Lord's help, we want to explain from this passage what this means about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And I'm so thankful that you are a God who loves us and who's invested in us, that you have no intention of just winding up the clock and letting it run by itself but you are very much engaged in our personal lives. You care about each one of us and you have made us a way that we could find out what we need to know, whether it's your, your path for us, your will for us. You could give us instructions. You could even show us how to respond and how to behave. You could give us everything we need in according to wisdom and it comes from you. We acknowledge that we cannot do it ourselves. So the best I know how I surrender myself to you, my thoughts, my ambitions, my goal. I give you my speech, my oratory abilities, what I think I may have. I give to you. I surrender to the, you all of those things for the purpose that you would take them. Fill me with your spirit and you can get your own work accomplished through your precious word. Help us even now to glorify your own name. Let me be surrendered to you. 
and help us to move forward this year in wisdom. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. The very first thing I'd like to show you from this passage is the beginning and the end of wisdom. The beginning and the end of wisdom. Notice with me once again in verse number 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Notice this, we start off with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So let's define our terms. Over the years, it's been interesting to see how many different uh, (laughs) definitions we have of the fear of the Lord. But we understand that honestly, the fear of the Lord is an emotional response we develop because of our knowledge of him. The fear of the Lord is an emotional response that we develop because of our knowledge of him. You know, the people who hate God, because they know something about him, they have an emotional response to him, don't they? That we know that if those people who don't care about the Lord, there is no emotional response. You ever notice that as we finish the holidays, there are some people who love the holidays. There are some people who are antagonistic, they hate it. and There are some people who just don't care. You ever notice why or think about why? Why are some people, bleh, and why are some people like, I love Christmas. And some people like, death with Christmas. Well, there's an emotional response. What happened is that there came a time for either those extremes where they came to know God. And either they responded well to God or they responded poorly to God. They had an emotional response. You know, we can't divorce emotions. Uh, One of the interesting studies I did several years ago was take my Bible and every day when I read my Bible, I look for emotions. And I learned so much. Before that happened, I would have been a typical stoic guy. Feelings are for girls. You don't need feelings. But we see that God puts a lot of emphasis on emotions. Even the thought of the fear of the Lord. What is the fear? It is an emotion. It's an emotional response we have because of the knowledge of who God is. For example, I have teenagers now. And there are certain things that my kids will not do because of fear of me. For example, we had watched some kind of show and, on television and the kid looked at his mom and said, no. And the mom said, no, 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 do this. No. All of my kids with a collective gasp went, oh! They had an emotional response. Why? Because they would never imagine that, doing that. You know, I come from the South and uh, I always say yes ma'am and and no ma'am and yes sir and no sir. And I used to say this, they're like, can you please stop calling me ma'am? And I said, if I don't, my mom will just come up and slap me. Now, will my mom literally take a plane ticket and fly up here just to balk me behind the head? No, No. No. But you understand, there's a response I have because how she raised me and there was an emotional response I have that I could not entertain doing something different. That's part of the fear that I have for the people I love. I have an emotional response that's attached to a person I know personally. So my kids, there are certain things they wouldn't do. They, They would say, listen, if I did that, my dad will kill me. Is that a literal idea that, you know, I'll be planning their murder if they happen to go do something? I've got the knives sharpened. No. But you see, they're having an emotional response because of the knowledge they have of me. 
Now, there may be some fear and trembling. That's part of fear. But there's also deal with it a respect. Both of those are necessary and both of those are part of it. You understand? The same thing with the fear of the Lord. Because of my knowledge of him, because of who he is, the more that I get to know him, I now develop a response that there are certain things that I will not do in my life because of the fear of him. Because of my knowledge of him, because of me getting to know him more with knowledge and getting to know him intimately and personal, there are some things that I will do in my life as a response to him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So where do we find out? It does not begin with fear. It begins with knowing God. And as I know God, I develop an emotional response that will help guard and dictate there are certain things I will not do. And there are certain things I will do because of my knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where does fear come from? The knowledge of God. You see, it all begins with God. It starts with my knowledge of him, my knowledge of who he is. Once again, notice with me Proverbs chapter 9 and notice with me verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. It begins with God. Seeing that there's a God who's holy. Seeing there's a God who loves us. Seeing there's a God who wants to spend time with us. Seeing there's a God who is personally invested in my life. Who wants to be with me. And as I get to know this God who loves me first. Remember my love is a reactive love. I love him because he first loved me. He's already proven his love towards me. And the more that I get to know him, the more that I see how much he cares for me, the more I see how much he loves me and loves me and not just loves me, but he likes me. I'm accepted in the beloved, Ephesians chapter one. He just doesn't love me because he has to. He likes me and he wants to spend time with me. And because of who he is, I now develop an emotional response to him that affects my life. It all begins with God. Do you ever think about why God does everything he wants or did everything for us on the cross of Calvary? God died, created man in the first place because he desired fellowship. You know what God is looking for? He's looking for friends. He's looking for people to be with him, to spend time with him. That's his heart and his desire. He's looking for friends. However, sin has put a wedge between us and God. Sin has put a separation. You see, as much as God wants friends, he is also a holy God, a righteous God, a just God who cannot abide in the presence of sin. So our sin has separated us from God. For there is none righteous, no, not one. For all of sin, it comes short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. Remember that word death carries the idea of separation. Because of our sin, we're now separated spiritually from God. That we have a distance. And when we die and we continue in that state, there's only two places to go when you die. A wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. God never created hell for a single human to go there. However, man goes there by default because we deserve to be separated from God. Sin has separated us. He has put a wedge between us. And that's where we deserve to go because we have to be separated from God. You say, that's all bad news. It is. 
But the good news is, is that God still wanted to have fellowship with us. So he came up with a way to fix that fellowship, to satisfy his righteousness, to finish off his holiness so we can be together with God again. That's why God robed himself in flesh and came on this earth as the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus lived the same life that you and I live. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, the same heartbreaks. Then he died on the cross to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. He died on the cross to pay that price. So now we can have fellowship with God once again. The knowledge of God is that God loves you and he loves you so much that he went to extremes to allow us to be close to him. What great love that is. Now, the more that I study him, the more that I hear about the cross, the more that I see how much he loved me, I should naturally have a response, an emotional response with an intellectual knowledge that comes to know him more. And it affects my behavior. It affects how I live. That it all begins with God. Well, we know that the fear of the Lord is only the beginning of wisdom. That's where we start. The end of this is an intimate personal knowledge of God. God wants us to be close to him. The fear of the Lord is where it starts. Where is it ending? It ends with us having a more complete knowledge of God. God is the goal. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. God is the purpose. God wants us to be close to him and he wants us to know him. And all the way through it, God is working in our life to bring us close to him. He is the goal. Now, because of this, this changes how we do everything. For example, we learn about man, not by studying man. We learn about man by studying God who created us and knows what's inside of man. He knows more things about man than we could ever know for ourselves. For example, you can't see inside of someone's heart. And please don't try, it's against the law. (laughs) But God knows what's inside of us. He knows what makes us tick. Now you say, well, I I can learn a lot by myself. Oh yeah? Well, the Bible says... That our heart is is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That means you can't even know your own heart. There may be some things that you feel is right. That you know deep down inside of you is right. And then you find out in the Bible it was wrong the whole time. Your heart can lie to you. Then how can I figure out what's true? By studying God. And God can tell us what's inside of man and tell us about man and how man's going to respond. We learn about man not by studying man, but by studying God who can tell us about man. Remember, it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. We study and get to know God. He can tell us more about how to deal with man, how to respond to man. What's man thinking? What are we thinking about? It's we learn about him and we get insight over his creation. The conclusion about the source of wisdom is that it all begins with God. It all ends with God. The result of wisdom we find in verse number 11. It says, for by me, who's that me there? Well, that's the Lord. 
So by me. So when we make God the goal, we have a promise. Now, remember verse 11 is a promise specifically for the Hebrew people. Understand this. For by me, thy day shall be multiplied and the years of thy life shall be increased. This is a promise that's given all throughout the Bible, including the law. Remember, we have the 10 commandments and the first commandment with promise is to honor thy father and mother and that he would extend their life. That's a promise that's extended specifically to the Hebrew people. Well, you say, what good is it for me as a Gentile? Well, because whereas this is talking about physical life, God has given us life everlasting, and we're going to see the results carried out into eternal life and to the millennial kingdom and to eternity future. For by me thy days shall be multiplied and thy years shall be increased. We can take this principle for ourselves because that's repeated in the New Testament for us over and over. He's not saying you may guarantee to live 110, but you are going to have everlasting results as you make God the goal that are going to be carried out beyond this physical life. That's encouraging. We're so thankful for it that God has given this principle, but it begins with God, it ends with God. Now let's go more practical. We started off that the beginning and the end of of wisdom is God. Now we find reproving those without wisdom. So we know that there are some people that have not made God their goal. And because God knows what's in man and knows how man is going to respond, he told us about it. Notice with me in verse number seven. He that reproveth, that word reprove is a very good word. It carries the idea of loving correction. So this isn't hateful stuff. This isn't where you slap someone across the face. It's where you go up with an honest heart to try to help someone out and point something that they are missing in their life. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame. And he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. What does this mean? Well, someone who doesn't have God as their goal, whether they're saved or unsaved, if they're not seeking after God and not desiring what God would have for them, here's how they're going to respond. Hey, have you read your Bible? What are you talking about reading my Bible? You stay in mind your own business. I was just trying to help. Hey, can you join with me to church? I'd love for you to be in church. I don't have to go to church. You just leave me alone. You just... Have you been there? You could say, but I thought you were a Christian. Listen here, I don't need. Okay, okay, cool, cool. You see, God gave us how people are going to respond that haven't made God their goal. You see, what's going on? Verse eight, reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. What happens is that someone who hasn't made God their goal They're not making themselves to be right. Meaning they think they're right, but they're not trying to be honestly right. So they take every correction as a personal attack on them. Even if it's something simple. For example, we all eat. I'm assuming that you're not robots. Everyone eats. And when you eat, sometimes there are things green left in your teeth. It happens. And so you go up to someone and say, hey, I just want to let you know that, you know, got something in your teeth. How dare you? I was just trying to help. And you get attacked. They think it's a personal attack because you pointed it out. Or you go up to a guy, XYZ, um, yeah, fix your thing. and they get so mad. 
So much so that it says, reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. A wicked man won't rest until he gets revenge. He feels like he has to justify himself and he has to get to the place where he has to show, I was right, you were wrong. By the way, that's a normal response. That's all of our response if we're not looking to the Lord. All of us have been there. How do you know? Well, maybe you don't carry it out, but you plan in your mind. Have you ever replayed a conversation? I should have said this and I would have showed him. Or oh, man, if I would have done this, I would have put, oh man, if let me give this thing, I would have told him this and it would have shut them down. That's a bad response on us. And that's a normal response is that we want to justify how we were right. And if we could somehow show that the messenger was wrong, then we feel like we're justified. By the way, that carries out into a practicality found throughout the Bible, the age-old adage that if you don't like the messenger, blame or message, blame the messenger. If all else fails, blame the preacher. Because if they could somehow disqualify the preacher, that means I don't have to listen to the message. You find that all throughout the Bible. For example, there was a siege going on in Samaria and it was going so bad the people were starving. And so the king came up with a great idea. It's the preacher's fault. Let's go kill him. It wasn't the preacher's fault, but they figured if they killed the preacher that everything would be better. No, we know that hurting people hurt people. Well, we don't like the preacher's message. So somehow we've got to do something to shut up the preacher. Well, that's just a normal response. If we don't respond correctly, it's because currently we're not putting our eyes upon him. And our normal response from average people who are not looking at the Lord, whether they're, they're church people or non-church people, is that if we try to correct them and they're not ready to be corrected, they're not looking to the Lord, not being right, they will not respond well. We have to guard ourselves, but God tells us beforehand that's what's going to happen. If God is not currently the goal, then we could try to rebuke, we could try to help, we could try to love on someone, and they snap at us. We've all been there. And God says that right here. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee, but rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. Why is this true? Because if I want to be right with the Lord, we all know that there are things that I cannot see in myself, but others can see clearly. And if I want to be right, then I want people to love me enough to point something out to me, whether it's something physical, where my wife pulls me aside, hey, let you know that uh, you got something in your teeth. Thank you for letting me know. It's, it's a big deal. Thank you. Or let's say that I mess up and I say something wrong and I don't even think about it. My wife pulls me aside in the office and says, listen, you may not have realized it, but you said this and I don't think it went well. Oh, thank you. I'll, I'll get that right right away. She's trying to help me. She's loving on me. She's rebuking me. And because I want to be right, I'll be like to fixed. Whether it's something about um, as a public speaker, maybe I repeat some off words too often. Um, 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 or whatever we use. And someone loves me enough and said, would you kind of consider doing this? Let me give you an example. So often we use filler words and that even goes into our prayer. So here's someone's prayer and Lord, thank you so much for the day. And Lord, thank you for this. And Lord, I thank you for this. And Lord, I thank you for this. You see, we're not using God's name as a personal intimate thing. We're using it as a filler word. 
And we have to be careful with that. You know, your prayer life would be a lot clean, a lot cleaner and flow a lot better if you learn not to use God's name as a filler word. Now I'm trying to help you, but I could go to someone who thinks they're a great prayer and not look into the Lord and get really mad at me. How dare you? I'm trying to help. You guys are understanding, right? We're, we're together. <laughs> but someone who wants to be right with God will allow people to rebuke them, to correct them, to help them. So that way we could see the things in our life that normally we're blind to, to point things out. Which brings us to one last thing. Our responsibility for wisdom. Our responsibility for wisdom. Notice with me if you don't, <coughs> sorry. As we continue back, I want to show you one thing before that, forgive me. Adding wisdom to wisdom. So we saw what happens when we rebuke people who are not right with the Lord that hasn't made God their goal. But we want to be right with God. How does this work? Well, we add wisdom to wisdom. Notice in verse number nine, give instruction to the wise man and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. Wisdom and knowledge are cumulative. We learn by adding to what we already know. Let's give an example. We start with the alphabet. We know the alphabet, our ABC. Some of you know them. And then we add to our alphabet. We learn to recognize and pronounce simple words. Then we use more complex words. Then we use words and add them to our vocabulary. Then we put sentences together and learn the laws of grammar. Then we learn to write and compose paragraphs. Step by step, we add to our knowledge. We start with simple and we add to it bit by bit. Let's take math. We learn to count. Then we learn to add and put simple sums together. And then we start adding more complex sums. We learn how to subtract, how to multiply, how to divide. Then we start to learn how to handle fractions, decimals, square roots. Then we go on to the complex subjects of geometry, of algebra, trigonometry, calculus. We begin with something we know and add to it. Does that make sense? We should learn from our mistakes. For example, when you get your math paper back, you don't go, well, okay, cool, shrug your shoulder. Some of you might, but that's not what you should do. You should be go back to rework the pro problem to figure out what happened and where you went wrong. You want to learn from those mistakes because if you don't learn from the mistakes, you'll not only remake those mistakes, but you'll compound them and make them worse. All right, so let's move from math, and people said amen, to more spiritual. Do you know that God is always trying to teach you lesson? He starts from the known to the unknown. But God will not switch subjects until you learn your subject. For example, let's say that someone messes up in their home relationships, with a relationship with their kids, with their husband, with their wives, with their parents. They mess up and they mess up horribly bad. I've been pastoring long enough that the result seems to be, well, I messed all of that up, but I wiped my hands of it, and now we start again, and let's move to a different subject. I'm sorry it doesn't work that way, because God will have you repeat, same lesson, maybe different scenario, for you to learn that lesson. You cannot move forward 
until you've learned what he's told you. And God will not switch subjects. This is why sometimes Christians will stagnate. Why are they stagnated? Because they haven't learned the lesson. And God can't build upon that until you learn the lesson. Let's say that someone had a problem with submission. I have a hard time submitting to authority. I know that God's given me authority, but you know, I feel like I know my own way. Congratulations, you're not moving anywhere until you learn to submit. That's how it is. I have a problem with obedience. Well, guess what? God is not going to move you on until you learn to obey. I have a problem with reading my Bible. Well, guess what? You're not going to go anywhere until you learn to read your Bible. By the way, this is why we've developed the discipleship manual we use in such a way that we go through several weeks of reading the Bible. Why? Because it takes more than one lesson to develop the habit. And as you build upon that, you can't move forward until they read their Bible. Then when they read the Bible, we add to it prayer. And they can't move on until they've developed the habit of prayer. Why? Because you can't move subjects. If they're not reading their Bible and I move on, I'm hurting them because I'm giving them more information that they're not obedient to. Does that make sense? This is Bible here. And so if you're stuck somewhere and say, well, I don't feel like I'm growing. Well, what lesson are you having a hard time learning? God will not move on until you've learned that lesson. He may try to hit you different tests, but he's trying to work on it. Does it make sense? I'm trying to help because God adds to what we have and builds upon it. You want to see someone who's growing fast? It's someone who's learning the lessons. May I also remind you as a teacher, just because you're taught it doesn't mean you're learned it. You could be given information all day, but until you apply it, it doesn't do you any good. God adds to wisdom with more wisdom. He starts with what we have and he builds upon it. This is a biblical principle found throughout the scriptures. You could find list after list where God talks about this. We have to learn what God is teaching us and God will give us more stuff. And we learn that and God more, that's how we grow. But until, or if we got any subject where we have a hard time conquering, it's not the idea where you wipe your hands and say, woohoo, all right, well, I failed that horribly bad. Let me go. It's not like the American school system. You do not graduate. You do not move on to the next class until you've learned that. He adds wisdom to wisdom, which now brings us to the last thing, our responsibility to wisdom. Our responsibility to wisdom. Notice with me verse 12. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. You know, nobody can live your life for you. No one can make decisions for you for your life. No one can make you serve God or follow God or love God. That has to be a decision you make for yourself. A wise man may give you wise advice, but he cannot make you take it. Wisdom is your own responsibility. You can have a wise parent who follows and walks with the Lord does not guarantee that their children will walk in wisdom because they have to learn to apply it for themselves. You may have a pastor who may be wise. Doesn't mean you're going to be wise because you have to learn to make the wisdom yourself. 
This is a personal responsibility that we have to seek God for ourselves. We have to desire to allow him to do his perfect work. Let patience have her perfect work. And that God will build upon this. All of this is talking about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, it all begins with God. And God takes that wisdom that we have from knowing him and he adds to it and builds upon it until we have come to the knowledge of the holy. Understanding him, we learn more about him that God is the goal all the way through it. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. And God uses wisdom to bring us all the way through. So let me ask you, is there any area in your life where you know that you've been disobedient and maybe even secretly inside of your mind, you're hoping that you could just wipe your hands and all right, well, I failed that horribly, but I don't have any interest in repeating it. Can I go to next? Now you may have never stated it that way, but as I say it, you can go in your mind and go, okay, maybe you're currently in a trial. May I tell you now's the time to learn your lessons well, because the test is going to come and you have to pass the test in order for you to graduate. Are you making God your goal? Remember, it all begins with God. It begins with him and the fear of the Lord, which is an emotional response of my knowledge of him. The fear of the Lord is not a bad thing and it's not a nasty thing and it's not a mean thing. I know there are some people without uh, understanding that will say, oh, the fear of the Lord, what kind of cult are you guys having? No, it is an emotional response that is developed because of our personal knowledge of him. So let me ask you just basic. How is your own walk with God? Is God close? Is he far away? Is he the schoolmaster or is he your friend? The goal is for you to be close to God. That's his desire. And as we start off this new year, we're looking for wisdom, but we cannot have wisdom outside of having the Lord Jesus Christ. He should be the goal. Wisdom is a byproduct of the goal. Christ is the goal. So where are you at? Maybe perhaps there's someone in here at the sound of my voice that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior. May I say that the first step for you is for us to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven and that you can have a personal intimate relationship with him. For those of you who are saved, may I say, are you growing in the Lord? Make that this year your goal. The goal is God. That by this time next year that you say, I am closer to God and I know more about him. And because I have him, all these other things in my life have been added. Make him your goal. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 920- 
920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.